Before we get into the intro today, I have to tell you guys about this awesome chance to save some money on the upcoming Pacific Bitcoin Festival happening on October 5th and 6th out in Los Angeles. If you click the link below in the show notes, you get a 21% discount on the event tickets. And the best part is you don't even have to worry about remembering a promo code because the link will automatically apply the discount at checkout. Guys, I have to say that honestly, this might be one of the better events to be going to this year because not only will you be surrounded by people like Lynn Alden, Greg Foss, Preston Pish, etc., but this one is actually one of those affordable events in the space that you can go to where it's not going to cost you thousands of dollars just to get a ticket like some of the other Bitcoin events. So go and click the link below, get your tickets to Pacific Bitcoin, and when you do, please reach out to me. I'd love to hang out with you guys in person. I'd love to get a real-life happy hour set up to chat and hang out with you guys more. So I hope that I can see you guys there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's release of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Elliot David, the head of climate strategy at Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. Elliot and I have a wide-ranging discussion on all things climate, and we do a full deep dive on who Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol is and how their token works to help incentivize the build-out of sustainable Bitcoin mining operations. Whether you are a big climate activist or not, this is an absolutely fantastic conversation with Elliot, and he does a masterful job explaining how he sees Bitcoin mining playing an integral role in the build-out of electrical infrastructure in emerging markets. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first, nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through the 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Elliot David at Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. Elliot, welcome to the show, my man. Yeah, thanks you. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I am very excited to dig into this conversation. Um, you guys, you're not as well known, and I'd love to dig into just kind of everything sustainable Bitcoin protocol, how you guys are doing it, what you guys are doing, and and really dive into that. Um, so I, I appreciate the time, Elliot. I. I always like to kind of kick these these episodes off with I love hearing people's backgrounds. I love hearing what you were doing before Bitcoin mining and then what led you to this crazy ecosystem and industry. So please walk us through your background and and how it got you to here. Sure. Um yeah, I guess I had a pretty, you know, jungle gym uh jungle gym style pathway that that brought me to Bitcoin. Um but, uh, you know, born and raised in New York, uh, you know, grew up there, hadn't really, you know, interacted with Bitcoin in a meaningful way um, for most of my professional career. But, uh, yeah, I guess starting from the, from the beginning, you know, spent some time in the military before university, um, you know, came back to, to New York, uh, was a student at Hunter College where I originally was studying astrophysics and cosmology, but then, you know, in the meanwhile, was really interested in, in sustainability, environmentalism. So I would, you know, volunteer, take internships, do, you know, take roles at various organizations doing everything from, 
creating green spaces and parks to, you know, trash pickup to, you know, MSW management. Um, and that included uh, work in energy, energy policy. Uh, I would say that I became, you know, very specifically focused on energy and energy poverty, energy economics uh, in 2017. I would say that's when my focus kind of narrowed. Um, that was when Hurricane Maria hit uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, Hurricanes Irma and Maria hit Puerto Rico in 2017. Um, you know, for your viewers who aren't familiar, basically it was a devastating, you know, extreme weather event. It completely knocked out the the utility, uh, the, the energy grid in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, tragically, uh, uh, dozens of people died yeah, directly awful. as a result of the hurricane. And what most people don't realize is that thousands of people died after the hurricane because they didn't have access to electricity. Um, you know, this was because of medicine, water filtration, um, even domestic violence. You know, all these things are associated with energy poverty. And, you know, the hurricane killed people not just because of the extreme winds and, and water, but actually because of uh, its impact on the grid. Um, and, you know, once that happened, I, I went to go work for uh, the Department of Energy here in the U.S. Uh, this was during the Rick Perry administration working for President Trump. Um, you know, I was doing a little bit of research there on you know, how do you rebuild the Puerto Rican grid. But, you know, while I was at DOE, I would say that my the office I was working in wasn't particularly focused on Puerto Rico. Um, and so right after that, I went to go work for President Clinton at the Clinton Foundation. Um, so interestingly, I'm probably one of the youngest people who's worked for both, you know, the Trumps and the Clintons, um, who, by the way, take pretty divergent views on energy policy. Um, oh, really? Anyway, I, I moved over to the, to the Clinton foundation I was working on their islands energy program and they had a, a whole initiative focused on, uh, solarizing small island developing states, uh, basically building out clean energy infrastructure for, um, you know, island nations, island countries. And in particular, they were really keen on how do you rebuild the Puerto Rican grid? Um, you know, in that role, I, I started to understand, you know, what is energy poverty, why it exists. Um, and to make a long story short, one of the big challenges for, uh, you know, clean energy development in Puerto Rico, and I'll get into this in to more detail later, yeah. um, is that they just don't have flexible buyers of power. It's, it's, the economics of renewable energy in Puerto Rico was really difficult. Uh, and so, you know, worked on some microfinancing solutions. Um, you know, the foundation was ra raising money to build, you know, microgrid solar with batteries, which, you know, was helpful, but, you know, didn't exactly scale. Um, after that, you know, graduated, uh, I actually moved to China where I was a Schwarzman scholar at Tsinghua University. Uh, while I was there, I studied the clean energy transition energy policy under um, David Sandelow, who's, you know, former uh, Obama, Clinton, uh, sort of climate, you know, climate advisor at the White House, um, you know, really respected and esteemed uh, energy expert. Um, and it was around then I started to learn about digital assets, you know, blockchain, more from an accounting perspective. Um, but, um, you know, that, that obviously brought me to Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, and, you know, before I started to learn about, you know, freedom money and, you know, uh, permissionless, permissionless monetary system, mm -hmm. um, I basically was presented Bitcoin to, to Bitcoin as 
these are machines that monetize electricity into a globally liquid currency in a way that's completely interruptible, completely location agnostic, completely flexible. That was um, how you were introduced to Bitcoin. That's I would say that's how I was introduced to Bitcoin mining. Okay. Um, okay. Which, but but that's what brought me into the space. Like as soon as I heard that, you know, everything clicked, and I've been working on uh, Bitcoin and sustainability ever since. Um, yeah, and I was kind of hired as the first employee at um, Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol, and it's been a wild ride ever since. That's uh, thank you for that. Um, you have a, a much more colored history than I do. So I, I appreciate that a lot. And I, I've got a lot of things to actually circle back on. You, you said it, it just clicked. Um, you heard, you know, what Bitcoin mining was and it clicked for you. Maybe, maybe go a little bit more on that. Like what, why did it click? Sure. Um, and, and, you know, up until this point, I'd, I'd heard of Bitcoin just as, you know, generically cryptocurrency, anonymous payment system. Um, you know, my first interaction with Bitcoin was actually back in 2010. Um, I had some friends that all wanted to go in $100 each to buy 100 Bitcoin. Um, I sadly did not. You know, everybody <laughs> has one of those. I should have. I should have yeah. bought Bitcoin stories. Um, so it's no Bitcoin socks or anything like that. But you know, certainly regret that. Uh, and then later on, after the after the military, uh, I was doing some international security work. Um, again, was exposed to Bitcoin as, you know, just basically this like illicit finance network, you know, didn't really get to dive into it. Um, and then interestingly, while I was an undergrad, I, I actually took a course with uh, General David Petraeus, who's the, you know, former CIA director. And every week I had to basically present to him on uh, cybersecurity, cyber terrorism issues. And every once in a while, you know, an article would pop up, um, you know, somebody demanded ransom in Bitcoin mm, or, sure. uh, you know, Bitcoin was used in some illicit finance scheme. Cause they um, never did that with cash. Right. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think <laughs> similar to the internet, the early days of the internet, yeah, yeah. you know, there wasn't any, um, there wasn't any nuance, you know, people tend to fear what they don't understand. That's right. Um, as I'm sure you've seen in your conversations. Um, but then circling back to, you know, present day, uh, a couple of years ago when Bitcoin mining clicked. Um, and again, this is, you know, not considering all the important, uh, you know, social value that Bitcoin brings to the world, just purely from an energy perspective, the ability to monetize electricity in, and create this very unique load is revolutionary. Um, yeah. You know, when I was at, uh, when I was at the Clinton foundation, I started to dive deeper into, you know, why Puerto Rico was having such a difficult time building out renewables. And to, to sort of throw, throw a couple of numbers out there, you know, this was 2017. This was nearly six years ago. The, the Puerto Rican grid mix was, I think, 99.9% fossil fuels, um, pretty much all of which were imported. Um, you know, the renewable penetration was 0.1%. And this is despite the fact that Puerto Rico has abundant sun, wind, and water resources. Now, at the same time, Puerto Ricans were also paying, at that time, 27 cents a kilowatt hour on average for electricity. For, yeah. for us in the US, I mean, that's yeah, that's like... Unthinkable, that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you know, between two and three times 
you know, how much we pay, plus the fact that they have to import nearly all of their energy through through the you know through um, through fossil fuels. It means that whenever there was a spike in fossil fuel prices, you know, the, the price of electricity hard, jacked yeah. up as well. They would get. I think for there were several times over the last couple of years where Puerto Ricans were paying more for electricity than anywhere else in the United States, with the exception of Hawaii. Um, wow. And if you look at actual the actual spot price for renewable electricity uh, in Puerto Rico, it's much lower than fossil fuels. So, you know, the first question I asked while I was at the foundation was, why the hell aren't we building out more renewables in Puerto Rico? Like, is it political? Is it, you know, is it, is it, a, is it a policy problem? Um, and that's when I learned about, you know, curtailment and the need to balance supply and demand on the grid. And if you have the option to build, say, a solar farm in Puerto Rico or yep. in Florida, yep. you're going to build it in Florida because you're going to sell every kilowatt. Um, so as soon as, you know, somebody explained to me what Bitcoin mining is, I was like, this is going to change everything. Um, yeah. And and maybe more specifically, that was because in Puerto Rico, they would have to build excess capacity and then there there wouldn't be anyone to take that. And that would be, oh, I suppose then there's also the intermittency part and component to it as well. Was that a factor of that? Like, it's it's tough to, yeah. to have that at night then? Essentially, like you couldn't have, I, I mean, to, to say you can have a completely renewable grid is, is tough, but to have almost no renewables, um, a, a big component of this was just flexible demand. Um, you didn't have a reliable buyer of power. Um, you know, there's, there's also certainly you know, policy challenges with PREPA and LUMA, which, you know, is the island's uh, utility, but to have 0.1% penetration, I mean, that's lower than, than. I pro- I would imagine it's lower than any other state in the country. Yeah, right? I would imagine. Um, and today, I think that that penetration for capacity is somewhere around like two or three percent. Um, so we, tens of billions of dollars later, you know, all this attention paid to rebuilding the Puerto Rican grid, and still today we just don't have that renewable capacity built out, even though it's way more reliable and resilient for a small island developing state, and obviously more affordable. Are they using um, coal? Is that the fuel source that they were importing in? So in 2017, or is it liquid? I think it was, yeah. yeah, it was mostly imported diesel. I think today it's like, and somebody should fact check me on this, but it's some mix of coal, nat gas, um, and petroleum. Um, and that still makes up like 96%, 97% of the, um, the power on the island. And you could, in theory, bring out batteries, but you also have to remember that Puerto Ricans are are not just facing energy poverty, but fuel poverty, right? They can't afford a you know four eight thousand kilowatt or four eight thousand uh, dollar you know PV system on their home, and then on top of that, building out you know a ten thousand dollar battery pack right. when the average household income was something like $16,000. Like it's just not feasible. Um, yeah. I, but Bitcoin mining obviously, you know, can sort of can change that. So I actually, I, and that's where I'd love to, to maybe take the direction of this, this conversation is what, like walk me through how that comes in and, and solves it. Like, what's that look like? 
So today, as far as I understand, there's not that much mining in Puerto Rico, right? You still have capacity problem, transmission problems. Um, but Bitcoin mining, and we, we tend to deify it and say that, you know, Bitcoin solves everything. But talking about purely in the context of energy, yeah. Bitcoin mining is a interruptible, insanely flexible, totally location agnostic load that turns electricity, no matter where it comes from, whether it's coal or solar or anything, into this globally liquid currency in a way that's reliable and predictable. Now, that statement alone is what we should be selling to people in the energy space. Because, you know, you could judge, you could judge Bitcoin on the merits of, you know, permissionless money and, you know, state control of currency. And you can have all these uh, very important debates about the role of, of money. But to have this, not a battery, but to have like an arbitrator or the transmission of the value of electricity across space and time is transformative. In Puerto Rico, I would say we're not quite there yet, though we are talking to miners that are interested in using Bitcoin mining to basically fix the grid. Um, but as you've as you've seen in other places, right around the United States, around the world, um, Bitcoin mining is already solving this problem. Um, you have miners like Gridless in Africa, or you have miners like CleanSpark in Georgia that are basically, you know, accelerating the clean energy transition through Bitcoin mining. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I think um, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to just keep going even just a little bit deeper because I think you and I and, and probably everyone on on Bitcoin Twitter in our nice little echo chamber, you know, that that statement about Bitcoin mining, it's like, well, duh. But I think there still is, you know, I think there still is just a little bit that's like, well, you know, help me understand how Bitcoin mining comes in and helps the Puerto Rican grid with the renewable energy. I mean, does that look like just this this combo mix of natural gas generation, solar generation, Bitcoin mining to help smooth out peaks? Like maybe just just go one one deeper for maybe the people that aren't as plugged into like how Bitcoin mining solving this. Sure, and I, I guess maybe to even take a step up, take take a step back further. Um, not all Bitcoin mining is the same, and it doesn't all have the same environmental or energy impact. Mm -hmm. You know, the same way that you can't look to one example of fossil based Bitcoin mining and attribute it to the whole ecosystem. You can't you can't do the inverse as well. Um, again, purely from an energy technology perspective, Bitcoin mining is effectively a new and better type of data center that has one specific function. So you can have a data center that is working well with the local community that is, you know, participating in demand response that is, um, you know, being a good steward and creating a good uh, tax base for, for, you know, the geographies in which they operate. And you can have a Bitcoin miner. That's, that's not right. Most Bitcoin mining is done as a business. Yep. Um, you can have a miner come in and create noise or, you know, pollute a local environment. And I'm not saying that any one miner is doing this, but it really just depends on the case by case. Um, but to answer your question about like this, this next level, how do we actually get to the point where Bitcoin mining is, is I wouldn't say exclusively, but 
um, you know, heavily uh, mobilized to solve this this energy problem. Uh, I think this is going to be the natural consequence of halvings and you know hash price uh, sort of going down over time. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's no nobody can predict the price of Bitcoin, but I don't think it's realistic to assume that the price of Bitcoin is going to double every four years, right? And that's going to perfectly you know meet you know, with liquidity and everything else, like, I don't think it's going to meet, uh, uh, sort of that, that sure. same trend in the network. Um, what this means is for Bitcoin miners where, you know, between 60 to seven, you know, 60, 80% or whatever of your cost is electricity, you're going to increasingly have to move towards lower and lower cost of power. Yep. Um, that means you're going to have to increasingly move towards, you know, stranded, negatively priced or non-competitive power uh, unless you're you know like a terror wolf that can snag a two cents you know uh, yeah two cents yeah. kilowatt hour uh you know agreement um that means that bitcoin miners are naturally gonna have lower uptimes right over time and i i know that zach uh from clean spark uh you know kind of said something similar on on the previous episode yeah um which was a super interesting take yeah yeah, no, but I I completely agree. Uh, and you know, Zach and Queenspark, they're actually one of our earliest and you know stalwart po- partners. Um, you know, big fan, big fans of the work that they're doing. But I think over time, Bitcoin miners are going to naturally transition into this like energy arbitrator, um, you know, energy energy tool. And I don't know if we're going to see the end of industrial scale mining, but certainly it'll it won't be like the same traditional data center model. Um, Now where I think this bridges to the conversation we're having about Puerto Rico. uh, And this is my crazy, you know, tinfoil hat thesis that I've been (laughs) ranting about ever since I learned about Bitcoin mining. Um, You know, ever since 2020, I've been saying that by 2025, a quarter of all hash rate is going to be in emerging markets. And you know, people would laugh at me. Uh, I think today, maybe they're not quite as skeptical. Um, the reason why I think Hashray is going to move into emerging markets is to solve this, uh, you know, energy poverty problem. Um, Bitcoin miners are naturally going to go and build out in the places where you have the most energy potential um, and the, and the, most inflexible demand. Um, and if you think about where are the sunniest and windiest and wettest places yeah. in the world, Latin and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, South and Southeast Asia. So I, I don't think we're obviously there yet, but my hope is that Bitcoin mining can actually solve uh, this massively, you know, this global problem of energy poverty for over a billion people. Yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't agree with you more. I had uh, John Belazare with um, Saluna on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he, he said all the same things. I mean, and, and the way that they're viewing projects is all of these stranded energy pockets, um, you know, with the potential for future build out, that's going to support societies and, and civilians. So it, uh, I appreciate you going deep on that one, Elliot, that uh, I, it's, it's something that 
I mean, I started the podcast because I wanted to talk to people who are are watching where the the puck is going to be going in the Bitcoin mining space and the energy space. So I appreciate that. I I don't want to glaze over the sustainable Bitcoin protocol. So let's sure. maybe kind of do a, a little pivot here and let's talk about your current role, who S S B P is and yeah, it's and, a terrible yeah. name. No, 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 no. It's it's yeah, you know, it's it's just have to to get the acronym down. Um, so I, I'd love to go deep on that next. Sure. Um, yeah, happy to kind of uh, talk a bit about the inception of SBP. You know what what are we setting out to solve? I will say it really is a terrible acronym. I mean, when uh, when Silicon Valley <laughs> Bank, you know, went down, I had all my relatives reaching out to me. Elliot, are you okay? You know, or, are you <laughs> oh, no. out of a job? <laughs> or or when like SBF, you know, oh, yeah. people were reaching out like, oh, I heard SB, you know, SBF. Like, are you okay? Um, anyway, we're not great great at naming things, but we've built a really cool solution, a really great team, uh, solving what we think is a big problem. Um, so the the kind of background, the inception story of SVP is uh, several years ago. You know, our our co founders were thinking about. Bitcoin mining, energy consumption in the context of institutional adoption. Um, you know, working early with, you know, Jihan Wu, you know, founder of Bitmain Bitdeer, and, you know, he's sort of an early thought partner in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but wondering, you know, whether or not Bitcoin's energy consumption will prove to be an obstacle for institutional adoption. And this was before Elon tweeted and, you know, everybody went crazy. Uh, you know, before the China ban, um, you know, we were thinking institutional investors are going to need a solution to uh, hold Bitcoin in a verifiably sustainable way, but without compromising the fungibility of Bitcoin. So, you know, once Elon tweeted, you had people like Kevin O'Leary coming out and saying, oh, I'll just have, you know, a green coin and a non-green coin. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's some really great threads uh, there's actually a really great thread by uh, Amanda Fabiano from Galaxy explaining why, you know, bifurcating Bitcoin is just a disaster. Um, so again, we wanted to create this solution that would enable an investor, say a BlackRock, to hold Bitcoin in a verifiably sustainable way, while at the same time creating a market-based incentive that rewards Bitcoin miners for using verified clean energy sources. Um, so in addition to not just putting a Band-Aid on, uh, you know, what is perceived to be a big problem, but actually how can you leverage Bitcoin mining and its unique attributes to actually, you know, radically accelerate decarbonization to mobilize capital into clean energy? Um, and the way we do that is we've created a separate instrument called the SBC or Sustainable Bitcoin Certificate. And the way it works is a Bitcoin miner would go through a third party audit, basically verifying, you know, that they are actually using clean energy. Uh, you know, we don't believe in just trusting, don't trust, you know, don't just trust verify. Um, you know, once a Bitcoin miner has demonstrated they're using clean energy, we then issue them this instrument for each Bitcoin that they mine. Basically, this is a way for them to monetize their clean energy procurement because they can then sell this onto, you know, BlackRock or Goldman or Fidelity or the 43 trillion of ESG capital that's waiting on the sidelines to be deployed into Bitcoin. Um, 
So you have this double solution of both incentivizing miners, you know, bringing an additional four to 7% of revenue to their bottom lines. Um, but then also bringing a lot more of this institutional capital into Bitcoin. Uh, and then just in terms of my role real quick, I mean, we're an early stage, you know, startup. Um, my official title is I'm the head of our climate strategy and partnerships, uh, which is a nebulous way of saying that I do a little bit of everything. You do everything. That's uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm the point of contact with all of our Bitcoin mining partners. Uh, today, we're, we have signed agreements with about 13 to 15% of global hash rate, depending on the day. Um, you know, I also do all of our engagement, uh, you know, with policymakers, both at this, you know, state and federal level, uh, and international level. Uh, I, I engage with environmental nonprofits, academic institutions. Um, I do our HR, uh, so a little bit of everything. Sure. Oh yeah. That's uh yep. Startup world. That's, uh, I, I left uh 3M and, and jumped into the startup world. So I, I, I hear you. Um, I think this next question is probably a byproduct of me not really understanding like tokenization and things like that is SBC. Is it, is it a token that you guys created and then it's issued? So I, again, this is probably just a byproduct of me not, not knowing all of this that well. It's so let's just say Bitcoin miner, a verifies through your your third party audit that they are using renewable energy do carbon credits or or anything like do, do credits count towards that so carbon credits and recs or other renewable energy or energy based environmental commodities are are very different um, you can think of the SBC as an environmental commodity derived from bitcoin almost almost like a clean energy derivative of bitcoin mining um, so no interaction with carbon credits. Okay. Um, but RECs are the instrument used to basically determine that a megawatt hour has an environmental attribute associated with it. Okay. Um, Got yeah. it. And then, so, so it's, it's not a REC in itself, but let's say you're a miner that's buying clean energy. This is a way to monetize that in the same way that, you know, the EAC market does it. Okay. I got it. Um, so then is, is Bitcoin miner a, then, they are sending the they they're giving you Bitcoin in exchange for the SBC, no. or it's just, hey, you generated a Bitcoin, and so now here is your SBC token. Exactly, oh, it's okay. the latter, not the former. Okay, so there's no we don't interact at all with the Bitcoin network. I mean, we are planning to build on Bitcoin uh, because you know we're a team of Bitcoiners. You know, philosophically, we you know believe in Bitcoin, um, but it's a it's a totally separate. You could think the same way that. Rex or EACs more broadly are the environmental attributes of energy and SBC is like the environmental attribute of, of Bitcoin. So, you know, one of the challenges with electricity or with, you know, clean energy uh, claims more broadly is that as soon as electricity enters the grid, it is fully fungible. You know, the electrons that are powering our computers, I have no idea whether they were powered by Coal, gas, nuclear, hydro, solar, um, hamsters running on a wheel. Like it's impossible yeah. to determine, to trace an individual electron. So the reason why the EAC market exists and why you have what's called market-based accounting, which is what the greenhouse gas protocol uh, you know, uses to basically account for clean energy consumption, 
um, is to be able to attribute like who was using what power. Because what's nice about energy as opposed to carbon is energy is, is finite. It's, it's physically, um, limited every kilowatt hour of clean electricity that is produced has to be consumed. And so you can attribute for that consumption. Whereas with carbon, and this is the reason why we don't really deal in the carbon market is, you know, even though it's also a digital asset, it's it doesn't fall under market-based accounting. Like you can't, I, in theory, could create a carbon credit for some activity, but there's no irrefutable proof oh, that this activity is like taking place. So Bitcoin is effectively energy and computation, right? It's like the simplest, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, supply chain ever. It's literally just code and energy. Yep. And so, what you can do is by verifying that clean energy is being used, you can then attribute that a Bitcoin doesn't have to be tied to any one Bitcoin, but a Bitcoin was mined using clean energy. And then because the SBC is a totally independent asset of, you know, the BTC of the Bitcoin, they can be bought and sold independently. So essentially what we're, we're what we're doing is creating a way for institutional investors to basically pay Bitcoin miners to use clean energy. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I super appreciate the the walkthrough how the 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 credits work because um I was a little fuzzy on it and I'm I'm sure there there are others who who may not have had that type of an understanding of it. So oh, that's super interesting then, you know, as far as like you guys are are giving the Bitcoin miners a way to prove even one step further that their energy source, their fuel sources is renewable or clean. Um, Yeah. And and then what's good about like, what's important about that is, you know, as Bitcoiners, we often talk about proof of work and we're making all these claims around energy consumption, but there's a reason why the estimations for the sustainability of the Bitcoin network range like crazy. It's because we don't have the data and transparency to actually prove that Bitcoin is a sustainable asset class. And the way that we've designed our protocol, and you know, we can get into the nitty gritty on this, but as SBP scales, the Bitcoin network will not just become you know, 100% renewable, but will actually be over time responsible for more clean energy financing than the entire network could have ever consumed in its history. So we are actually driving climate positivity of the Bitcoin network, not just carbon neutrality. Yeah. I, I, so I am curious, you know, when you look at like the energy mix for the United States um, and, and you kind of touched on it with like your, your statement about Puerto Rico, it's, it's not super feasible to assume that the entire grid system will be renewable energy. It's just that, you know, there's a lot of intermittency there. What, what are your thoughts about like, nuclear base load generation or you know gas peaker plants in in the generation stack plus renewable plus wind you know wind solar uh hydro you know as far as like your protocol and then like because bitcoin miners do also help drive you know the the generation of nuclear um and and just some of the other other types of generate. What do you, what do you think about that? How do you think about that? Sure. Um, 
Well, first of all, I mean, we consider hydro and nuclear both to be clean energy sources. And I personally am a huge fan of nuclear. Um, you know, Elliot David, not SBP, but Elliot David wants an 80% nuclear grid as opposed to a 20% nuclear grid. Right. So I'm like, I am super bullish on nuclear. And I actually think there's a lot of really interesting um, sort of public facing similarities of, of Bitcoin and nuclear energy uh, and sort of the you know, kind of FUD around uh, both both those um, technologies. Um, so that's sort of broadly speaking, nuclear and hydro are both considered uh, clean energy sources. Um, we're also not out to punish any one type of generation over another, right? Like at the end of the day, what we're really doing is we are pricing in the environmental benefits of sustainable Bitcoin mining and then letting the market do what it wants. So if you are, you know, a miner that is using, oh, and I should also mention that waste methane gas is also a huge component of this because that yep. is, we can get into the whole methane conversation. That might be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. That, that, yeah. We got to, <laughs> next time I'll, I'll bring, um, I'll bring Chase and the, and the Crusoe team and, you know, we can, or, or Giga Energy, you know, or one of the, one or of both, our, you know, meth, methane separately, yeah, separately, methane but mining. both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not and there's oh man, there's so many cool applications for this. I mean, the whole methane conversation is fascinating. Um, but essentially, what we're doing is we're we're pricing in that environmental benefit. Like, that is it in a nutshell. So if you are you know a fossil based miner, I Elliot David am personally not a fan of that. Um, you know, I would like to see a hundred percent clean energy grid. Um, I recognize that there's an orderly transition that needs to happen. You know, I'm I am a climate activist, and I think we got to decarbonize as fast as possible. Um, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning who's like a climate refugee from the Philippines, and and uh, you know, his whole village was basically decimated from you know as a result of climate change. Mm. Plus, I live in Florida now, so I have to care even more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, at the end of the day, it's just it's an it's an incentive. We believe that markets can can solve this problem. Um, so we're just creating a market for it. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's really cool. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just it's hugely needed. I think the more incentives we can have, you know, it's really it's a lot of buzzword or clickbaity type thing, you know, to, to talk about. Bitcoin mining only using renewable energy. But when you look at it, that type of an incentive and that type of like generation is, is it's just, it's where everything's going anyways. And so if we, if we can tie in, you know, Bitcoin mining to that, it's, it's even more powerful. I want to bring you, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over in the conversation. You had mentioned no, please. That, that you think a quarter of the hash rate, well, it kind of ties in. I'll, I'll try to tie this in. You'd mentioned sure. uh, that a quarter or more of the, the global hash rate is going to start to come from, I think you said third world countries, you know, emerging, emerging um, markets, emerging markets, emerging global markets. south, um, you know, developing economies. Let's maybe touch on that just a little bit more because I think it ties into what we're talking about right now, which is they're going to need electrical generation built out. And it's like you said, these areas are primed for wind. You know, again, I talked to John Belazare and their first project was in Morocco 
And he said that the wind farm that they plugged into had like a 75, 80% load factor at a wind farm, which was like, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, that it's mind bogglingly high uptime. So it's, uh, yeah, maybe just touch on that statement a little bit more because I'm super curious about that. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a couple of variables at play. Um, one is the renewable energy potential, right? As, as I said before, the sunniest, the windiest, and the wettest places are all in the global south. Um, historically, though, these are also all the locales that have the highest electricity prices, the lowest renewable energy penetration. And this is despite the fact that most of the materials that we use to produce clean energy come from these countries. So we basically go out, you know, we go to, you know, what is it, Peru or, or Sub-Saharan Africa. We basically pull out minerals or materials, build out clean energy infrastructure, and then throw it in West Texas. Now, <laughs> the the fact that all of this clean energy potential is so abundant in the emerging markets, but it's untapped. Um you know, it's both a terrible problem, but also an incredible opportunity. Um, if you look at some countries, right, like Ethiopia or Kenya, or like, you know, take East Africa, for example, there is something like, you know, a thousand gigawatts of, you know, wind potential that is either curtailed or like untapped. Wow. Right. And you have over a billion people I think it's like 1.1 billion people who have who do not have access to clean or reliable electricity around the world. Um, you know, in America, we we often complain about fuel poverty. That is, you know, di- difficulty paying for electricity. Mm-hmm. But there's you know one in seven people on this planet don't they they don't have a light switch to turn on. Um, and if you think about it also, energy is truly the golden thread of sustainable development, right? You can't have any other types of enabling infrastructure without electricity. Yeah. You can't have water, you can't have medicine, education, institutions. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the sustainable development goals, but um, you really need SDG 7, which is energy access, in order to achieve all the other goals of sustainable development. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, why, why Bitcoin? Like, why, what the hell does Bitcoin have to do with any of this? Um, there is this model called the anchor business community model of, of rural energy development, um, you know, which has been around for a while. It's basically this idea that you have stranded communities that have this energy potential, but cannot access it because you don't have some kind of reliable buyer of power. So it makes it uneconomical or technically infeasible. Um, and the idea behind this, a- this ABC model, the anchor business community model is that you might have a business or a factory or some kind of, uh, reliable, uh, reliable load that comes in basically connects to a stranded power source to a stranded community. Uh, and then you can use that to essentially finance the build out electrify communities and alleviate energy poverty. And this has knock-on effects, you know, on financial inclusion, digital inclusion, which I'll get, I'll get to in a moment. Yeah. Um, but up until now, I mean, this model theoretically was really powerful, but practically is very difficult to achieve um, until now. Yeah. 
So there's you're probably familiar with Gridless. Yep. Um, which is and if Gridless really... if Gridless is by chance listening at all, I would love to get somebody from Gridless oh, on the I'm, show. Let's message. <laughs> let's message Eric, okay. Phil, Janet. Let's let's message them like right after this. Right. I mean, I if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I would be doing Gridless. Like when I when I was saying a couple of years ago that all this hash rate is going to move into emerging markets, I was like, somebody should do this, and Gridless is doing it. Yeah. Um, and they are just awesome. I am a huge, huge fan. Um, and what they're doing is they're essentially applying this ABC model in a successful way. Now, I also want to, let me, let me touch on one other piece of this as well, which is that we often talk about Bitcoin as this massively powerful financial inclusion technology. Yes. Um, you know, Bitcoin is freedom money. It's permissionless. Anybody in the world can access it. That's not true. There are 3 billion people on planet Earth today who don't have internet access. Bitcoin is internet money, right? It's like you need this other type of infrastructure in order to be able to access it as well. If we went yeah. to a Bitcoin standard tomorrow, that's one in three people, more than one in three people on planet Earth won't be able to participate. Um, and you need, I guess Starlink is maybe an exception, but you really need energy in order to build out internet infrastructure. Because yeah, how are you like going to have these, internet these without types electricity? Of in yeah. Exactly. So you, you really need these two, what I call enabling infrastructures to work together. Um, and so what I think is like, you not only can electrify these communities across sub-Saharan Africa and the global South, but you can also tie in this internet inclusion piece as well. Um, now, I want to take a step back because I want to caution any Bitcoin miners that are hearing this and saying, wow, there's you know, you know, terawatts of yeah. you know, untapped power across yeah. uh, across Africa that I can go and, and gobble up. Um, what I think is going to be one of the most important questions in the coming years as hash rate naturally migrates to the global south is how do you interact with the local community? I think, you know, before miners can move out of the U.S. or, you know, before they move into these markets, they have to think about, you know, how do I be a good steward? How do I make sure I'm actually solving the problems on the ground for people that I'm not making their lives worse? Because um, it's very easy to come in and be, uh, you know, a taker and not a giver. Yep. Um, yep. There are certainly miners that are, you know, doing this right. Like, again, I, I'm a huge fan of Clean Spark. They do an awesome job. Um, I know that the DPO team was on your you know, show. Oh, they're, yeah. they're also partners of ours. Yeah. And, um, the way they they work with the the utility is amazing. Um, there's another miner called Penguin Digital uh, in uh, in Paraguay that's like supporting local communities and training young people, you know, in, in different technologies. Like, I think we have to first uh, perfect this social element of Bitcoin mining and how it interacts with the community. Yeah. And then let's go and, you know, save the world. I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin needs to come in as a tool. Um, and I think uh, my audience is probably sick of hearing this, but you know, there was, there was a project that I, I, I tried to start up here in Minnesota and my approach to it was so focused on how do I get the lowest power cost possible? And that was all I was focused on where now, especially on this podcast and the, the awesome guests like yourself that I get to talk to is I'm realizing that you really need to have a much 
like broader and, and bigger understanding of how you can be a tool for either the community or the utility provider. Like, yeah, big learnings for me. But what you're saying is spot on. I think you need to have people with the right motives to go in and do those types of projects. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're getting there. You know, th- there's nothing that people care more about than their own problems. Um, that applies both in life and in business. And the miners that are the most successful, right? They're not, they're not an island, right? Miners are not islands. They naturally have to interact with energy, internet, political infrastructures. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that do that the best are the ones that are going to succeed. Yeah, com- um, completely agree. So uh, just to, to keep a tab on the time, Elliot, we, I've, I've already got a note down. We are going to have to circle back for like a round two podcast because <laughs> we didn't get into methane mitigation. We didn't get into a couple okay. other things that I really wanted to go, go deep on with you. So Chinese mind, right? Uh, just, yeah. I mean, we didn't even get yeah. to you studying energy in China. Like I wanted to go there too. So we have a follow-up episode. Um, I did want to get one last question from you. I'd love your perspective on how you view the future of energy, Bitcoin mining. Like if you're flying over the, the, the world in a, in a jet, what does the energy mix look like for you? Um, wow. I mean, that's, that's a trillion dollar question if there ever was one. Um, if I, and if I could answer that question, I, you know, would probably, uh, you know, I'd be getting paid a bit more probably, <laughs> probably. Um, but um, not in terms of the energy mix of the future, I mean, again, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect that we're going to have, you know, an immediate decarbonization. I don't think we're going to get to net zero tomorrow. Um, there are a lot of major challenges in our, in our path. And as somebody who's worked in the climate tech space for you know, coming on 10 years, um, it's very easy to get disheartened, disillusioned. I mean, we're, we're literally in the hottest year on record. Yep. Um, and it's only going to get hotter. Um, but I think that we're starting to align the, like, we're starting to correct for the real problems in the energy transition. Um, you know, I, I held a, a, a conference. In addition to Bitcoin, I'm also really interested in helping young people find green jobs. And we, we organized this really fantastic uh climate jobs conference for uh, CUNY, which was my undergrad, which has about 500,000, you know, mostly uh, working class, first generation, first generation American uh, college students. And one of the speakers said something that I think about often. He, He was the head of the UN environmental program. And he made the point that, you know, the world's pension funds have something like 40 trillion dollars you know under management um we've had the technology to solve climate change for decades and we also know that it's an existential problem we know that you know it's it's life and death i mean puerto rico is a perfect example yeah um and so it's not a it's not a problem of technology it's not a problem of uh money it's a people problem Right. It's like, how do we fix the economics? How do we fix the politics? How do we fix the social nuances of, of, of this stuff? And this might be a very like, you know, turnaround way of, of, of answering your question. Um, but I think we're getting there. I think, I think we are, uh, 
almost at the point where we're starting to reorient socially around solving this problem. Um, and the energy mix of the future, I mean, I'm hoping that we have a lot more nuclear, a lot more low carbon resources. Uh, I am also a student of carbon management. And so I think naturally we're going to need a lot of like, you know, DAC and CCUS and, um, uh, yeah. And then as, as a one last note on the whole sort of Bitcoin mining and emerging markets piece is when you increase energy access, it actually decarbonizes across the board. Mm. Um, because it it makes communities and individuals more um, more efficient in their work. It oh, interesting helps them helps them live longer. It helps them get more educated. Yeah. It actually reduces birth rates. It reduces gender based violence. I mean, like this this problem of energy, internet, and money. When we solve it, I think we'll have unlocked the next phase of sustainable development. I'm um, I'm pretty excited for for that to happen because I. I absolutely think we're, we're marching quickly into that direction as well. Um, well, Elliot, this, this has been fantastic. Again, we, we certainly have a follow-up episode to record. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love for you to give a handoff for the audience so that they can get in touch with you. How can they find sustainable Bitcoin protocol? Um, you know, please tell the audience how they can get in touch with you guys. Sure. Um, yeah, find me on, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, I think my Twitter handle is really boring. It's like Elliot J. David or something like that. You know, it's, I, I have a lot of Twitter handle, handle envy of, you know, some of the folks in the space like hash, hash override or, <laughs> um, you know, Coley, Co uh, Coley Kavnis is the co-founder of Crusoe. His is like, what is it? Di digital cowboy or something. Oh, like Combustion sure. cowboy, some, something cool like that. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm Elliot David on, on Elliot J. David on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, you know, check out our website. It's sustainablebtc.org. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, at sustainablebtc. Uh, we're pretty active, um, have some pretty exciting announcements in you know, the coming weeks and months. Um, yeah. And if you're a miner that's, or an, or an investor that's interested in Bitcoin and sustainability, don't hesitate to reach out. Oh. Thank you. We'll we'll link to everything in the show notes, Elliot. Um, thank you again. This was an absolute blast and, and you take care. Awesome. Thank you for having me.